Welcome to Housing Development. I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. Let's see what's going on in housing. Jim, what have you been up to recently? Oh, well, you know, it's been uh, a busy time in Congress. There are always a bunch of bad ideas they're, they're looking to do. But, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll touch on our primary issues a little bit later in the episode with our special guest. But more important, I think we should celebrate a great IBS that we just came back from. The IBS was tremendous in talking to attendees. They had a great uh, experience, both in terms of uh, the exhibits and being able to make some uh, interesting purchases for their businesses, learn some things at the education sessions. But when I talked to the exhibitors, they told me that this year they had more good, positive leads than they've had in the past several years. So uh, it was a great IBS, and uh, we're looking forward to next year, the 2021 IBS in Orlando, Florida. So people start making your plans now. I've also been uh, been traveling a little bit uh, since IBS. They just opened up the Northern Alabama Home Building Academy. It's been open for a month. Right now they're training, I think, somewhere around 20, 25 students. They have a waiting list now of over 400 students, and the thing's only been open for a month. So kudos to those guys down there. That's amazing. I, you know, it, It's great to see that uh, finally people are starting to embrace the, the construction trades as a career path for their education. And so it's something that good to see our members are embracing. Yeah, in fact, Rob Dietz tells me that this year could be the first year in the last several where the gap between construction job openings and hires uh, narrows. So we may finally be starting to have an impact, but I would encourage all of our listeners, if you want to get your local engaged in workforce development, contact HBI here with us at NAHB or contact NAHB directly, and we'll help you and your local get on the right track to getting some trained and skilled people in the workforce in your hometowns. Yeah, and and as we travel around the country, Jerry, you know, we talk about workforce development. There's a real connection between workforce development the careers in the trades, and housing affordability. And and it actually resonates across the spectrum. And, and as we look at you know the, the politics of America right now, there's a real positive to our industry talking about hiring kids, training kids, retraining people who are looking for a different career, and then in turn, creating more opportunities and making housing more affordable across the country. It's a win-win-win, as you like to say, on a variety of levels. Yeah, and I'd like to give, uh, speaking of the election year and housing affordability, I want to give kudos, Jim, to you and your team and Paul Lopez and his team. We have uh, succeeded in getting housing on the agenda in this election. We've seen it mentioned in the Democratic debates. The president and his people are talking about housing affordability. Where do you see this playing out over the course of the spring and summer? Well, now that we're in the primary season, I think we still have several more debates before the uh, the Democrats choose their nominee. So we want to make sure that we keep uh, housing at, at the forefront is, is we get into the Super Tuesdays and some of the later debates. Housing is an issue in every state across the country, and these candidates all have their own housing platforms. In fact, you know, Bernie Sanders just the other night was doing a CNN town hall, and a woman from Nevada talked about, about uh, rent control in Nevada. Now, Bernie Sanders has a, a much different opinion about rent control uh, than NHB and, and our members do. Uh, he's, a, he's a supporter of nationwide rent control. But whether you agree or disagree with it, the presidential candidates are talking about housing. They're talking about the economy. President Trump is talking about housing in the economy. In fact, touting uh, the great economy that we've seen and housing's role in that and, and the regulatory burdens that are, that are keeping housing back. So everybody's talking about it, and that's what the team at NAHB is going to be doing between now 
in November 3rd is just making sure that the candidates are talking about it. More importantly, our members are driving the message back home that every candidate, House, Senate, local county commissioner, mayor, they're all focused on housing. That's the way we keep it in the forefront. Yeah, and we've done events uh, in several cities, both events where we're doing polling and, and survey taking of people on housing affordability, but also these town hall types meetings that you mentioned. And our goal, by the way, listeners, is to put all of this together uh, so that your local association can have the most effective talking points when you're meeting with candidates for your local levels of government, which is where the rubber hits the road. And God willing, it'll continue to be the point for this. We're not going to let Washington take over land use issues. But we will have the best talking points for you to bring to your local candidates that we think will help get them on our side, and then you can help get them elected. So we're working real hard on that. You know, Jim, you mentioned uh, Senator Sanders, and, and I noticed on the debate the other night, Mayor Bloomberg, from my perspective, I think congratulated Senator Sanders on being a homeowner. Three homes. Three homes. Actually, he was chiding him about being the most prominent socialist in America and owning three houses, but hey- as long as he's buying brand new homes, we're happy with it. Doesn't bother me at all. I've, in fact, uh, I, I'm all for presidential candidates have many homes. Buy as many homes as possible. Exactly. Hey, Jim, um, when we were out in Las Vegas, uh, we had some pretty important visitors from EPA. They came and they signed the uh, Waters of the U.S. ruling, uh, made a big announcement there. Tell me what's developed with that over the course of the last month and a half. Jerry, you're right. EPA Administrator Andy Wheeler, uh, a longtime friend of, of NAHB's, uh, both from his Hill days and through the administration, he came out and made what I think is one of the biggest announcements I've ever seen in my time at NAHB, where you have a sitting EPA Administrator announce a brand new rule that NHB has been working on for decades, an issue that is near and dear to my heart. He brought the head of the Army Corps of Engineers with him as well. You know, uh, a little drier presentation than Mr. Wheeler's, uh, but nonetheless, <laughs> I think uh, if you were in the board meeting, you got firsthand, number one, the power of NHB that they would make that announcement to that constituency, number one. Uh, number two, it is the most significant environmental rule that impacts our builders, uh, bar none. And uh, since that time, there has been a listening tour across the country, a really a, a way to move the rule forward and make sure that it's not being portrayed like many in the, on the left would do as eroding environmental protections. What this rule is about is business certainty. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. But business certainty for our members, when they go look at a piece of property, they can look at it and say, yes, that's a navigable water. I need a permit for it. No, that's just a tire rut with some rainwater in it. I don't need to worry about that. That's the kind of message that, that Andy Wheeler and the Army Corps of Engineers delivered to us and delivered in this rule and it's going to be incumbent upon us to defend that rule. And that's something that our members have to be ready to do. In fact, you've already seen a lawsuit filed against it. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. And, and so for us, I know our members had the foresight that this was going to happen. And they've armed us uh, and our legal team and Jim Rizzo and his team in particular with the means to fight for this rule as a good, balanced public policy. Well, I guess, listeners, the last thing we'll touch on here before we bring our guests to the show is just to... Uh, give a quick update on uh, what Rob Dietz is telling us in the economy. Right now, Rob is uh, forecasting around 920,000 housing starts this year, so up some from last year, still climbing, still not nearly where we need to be yet, but interest rates are low. Permits are at a 13-year high. Uh, as I mentioned, the shortage in labor still persists, but it looks like that's getting better, and we're looking to a, a really good spring building season. Uh, here to get us deep into 2020. 
So with that, let's uh, welcome our guest. With us today is George Lowe from the American Gas Association. George is the Vice President for Legislative and Federal Affairs. Uh, he's been working very closely with Jim and our team on the pending Shaheen Portman legislation. George, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do over at AGA? So I'm the Vice President of Government Affairs Public Policy at AGA, and that goes from the administration down to now city council. It has expanded greatly over the last year and a half as we've seen forced electrification policies moving to city council levels, state levels. I'm a former Hill guy. I spent about 14 years in the U.S. Senate Chief of Staff for both Senator Murkowski and Senator Stevens. So I guess you're from Alaska, George. I, I'm an Alaskan kid, yes, <laughs> part of that Alaska mafia. Yeah, nice. So we'll jump right into Shaheen Portman, and, and obviously our two organizations have been the 800-pound gorillas, for lack of a better term, on this fight. And we're awaiting the introduction of the larger energy package where uh, Senator Portman is hopeful that the energy code provisions in Portman Shaheen get attached. Tell us a little bit about your concerns. Our members are well aware of, uh, of how we interact with the, uh, the IECC every three years, where the rubber meets the road for our members in the construction of homes. But, but give us the nexus with, uh, with AGA and your members. Well, clearly, we want to be able to serve any American who wants to have natural gas in their home. And the building codes are now being used to eliminate that choice. And, and the energy choice is important for our members. You know, if you want to go all electric and, and one of your builders wants to build all electric, that should be a choice. If they want to have natural gas appliances, they want to have a, a gas stove, they ought to have that choice as well. And, and the codes are now being used across the country. We've seen it in Berkeley. We've seen it in Seattle. We're seeing it up in the Northeast, in suburbs around Boston being used to force customers from not having that choice anymore. And that's very concerning, obviously, to, to us as the, the customer-facing end of the natural gas uh, chain. Well, and that's going to be an issue for our members, too, George. I'll tell you, when I go out into the field and talk to guys, uh, particularly the higher-end homes, the custom homes, a natural gas stove is a big, big seller. And for that choice to be removed just unilaterally uh, is something that our guys are not going to tolerate. And it really underscores what you and Jim have been working on uh, in terms of this Portman Shaheen or Shaheen Portman legislation. It's something that's just not going to sit well with our members. No, I, I think anytime where you're talking about prescriptive, prescriptive measures, especially when you're using the federal government as the hammer there, right? We battle through the code process every three years, and the codes are getting more and more progressive. We know that. But to have the federal government layer on here, which is what Senator Portman and Shaheen want to do, and get too much federal control over what we think ultimately becomes a local issue and a stakeholder issue. I, you know, I have a question about, about the electrification uh, push. Is it is it from the renewables? Who's who's driving that? It's a mixture. Um, you know, Mike Bloomberg has put in five hundred million dollars to <laughs> uh, to eliminate natural gas as a heating option in, in homes and wow. businesses across the country. That's being st spread out through Rocky Mountain Institute, who's putting out you know studies, uh, publishing these questionable studies on the benefits or costs. Uh, you're also seeing it going into Sierra Club. You're seeing it going into local elections where they get someone to run from the Sierra Club and other, you know, uh, 350.org, Sunshine Movement. Those folks get in. They take a pledge to do something. And then 
when they're up the next time you, you come back and you see these groups saying, okay, we're going to run somebody against you unless you, you push forced electrification. And that's, that's a real issue for us. You know, one stat you've told me uh, in the past is that 30% of the electricity in the country is generated from natural gas. Is that, am I right? It's a little bit higher now. And, and if you look at, at the numbers, you know, over the last 25 years, the, the power sector is now its, its lowest emissions uh, because of the natural gas used in, in power gen. Now, obviously, my members are more concerned about what's going through the end of the pipe into your gas stove and in your high-end home or low-income home. Americans save $879 a year if they're using natural gas for their home heating rather than electricity. So it's also for those low-income consumers who are on that energy poverty edge it makes a real difference for them. Well, you know, you guys are a lot closer to this than I am, but when you talk about the, the groups that are spearheading this, these are exactly the kind of groups that if they're successful in this effort, uh, they're going to uh, be aggressive and start pursuing a whole lot more federal control for American land use policy, and that is just an anathema uh, to the home building sector. So, uh, Jim and George, these groups that you're dealing with a, they have a history, in my view, of not playing fair. And B, these guys are going to try and take over the entire code writing process. At least that's what I think. Am I way off base here? No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, we've seen the Portman Shaheen legislation, and, and you can draw a bright line between that and what the liberal members of the House of Representatives are, are producing. They actually have a draft piece of legislation that I think is Portman Shaheen heavy, where they have the federal government actually writing the codes in the country, actually writing stretch codes and not incentivizing the adoption of those new codes, but actually holding back federal dollars, not just Department of Energy dollars, mind you, all kinds of federal dollars from states if they don't adopt the one-size-fits-all prescriptive measure from coming from DOE. And that's going to trickle into building codes, right? We've got resiliency and climate change is kind of these mantles that everybody's adopting themselves or are using, using to adopt more and more stringent building codes. This is the tip of the iceberg, I think, George. Absolutely agree with you. you know. DOE is very good at the science behind things, but uh, I'm not sure they should be out advocating for positions that impact the entire country. That It is such a slippery slope depending on the administration. You could see great swings back and forth uh, between a very liberal administration, very conservative administration. Um, I know our guys need business certainty when they are putting pipes in the ground. I'm sure your builders need business certainty when they're going to construct houses and to have it swing back and forth would make it almost impossible. George, the business certainty point is really well taken. You can see uh, what a difference there would be in an Obama-led Department of Energy regulating building codes and a Trump-led Department of Energy. And then whoever succeeds Trump goes back in another direction all the burden that this will put not only on the private sector, the builders and the suppliers of gas, but on the public sector at the local level to change their codes, change their enforcement, re-educate their people. You're putting layers of bureaucracy that are going to cost more. And I think, Jim, you and I know who's going to end up paying those costs. The American homeowner. Well, that's absolutely right. And I just saw... Uh, some recent polling that was asking about the Green New Deal. And when you talk about the Green New Deal and the $93 trillion cost, people like the idea of a cleaner environment, healthy environment. Everybody's for that. But when you start looking at where that cost comes from, 
and the impact on the consumer. And that's it's going to hit everybody's pocketbook. And, and so 64% of Americans said that they were strongly against it once they started learning about the cost to them. And, and that's what's going to happen with building codes. It makes it more expensive to build a house. First-time home buyers don't have the opportunity to get into a house because they can't afford that. The costs would go up and up. We did a study last year on forced electrification, and the average cost to just take the four burner tips out of a house was about $20,000 per customer. You, you think about that cost on you know, in an average American, and, and that's unsustainable for them. And that's one thing that we're seeing. When we talk to our builders and they talk to their customers, they want a, a predictable and short payback for those energy efficiency features. Like you said, they like to know they're doing something good for the environment. They like to know that their home is saving them money when it comes to their monthly utility bills, but they're not willing to pay for it over 35 years or 50 years, and in some cases, hundreds of years, and we've seen some of these energy proposals have paybacks. They want a three-and-a-half to five-year payback, and our members will tell you, you can talk to a home buyer about a seven-year payback, but that's about the extent of it. They want to see that money up front, especially since the average homeowner only stays in their house maybe seven or eight years. And so for us, that's been, our, I think, our biggest talking point has been about the, the return to those to that customer. You know, there's 137 million homes in America. 130 of them were built before 2000, what we would consider modern codes. And it seems to me that the advocates, some of the, uh, the manufacturers, and certainly Senators Portman and Shaheen, seem to forget that if you want to do something for energy efficiency in the built environment, you need to deal with the older homes in America. And rather than punishing the people who are buying the most technologically advanced, the most energy efficient homes on the market today are the ones our members are building today in conjunction with your members. And to your point, Jim, people all over the country and in some of the most liberal states, California, New York, have a homeless problem because the average citizens are having trouble affording homes. And now you're going to add to the cost of new homes, putting an upward price pressure on the existing homes. It flies in the face of what is the most important three things to human society, food, clothing, and shelter. If our government is enacting policies which make shelter unreasonable, the long-term goals of protecting the environment just go out the window. And Portman and Shaheen, unfortunately, are, are not seeing the forest for the trees here. You know, George, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, we talked about the federal legislation we're working on together, but talk to the top, there's more and more going on in the states. And I know our state and local team has been working with your state and local team to kind of put out these brush fires and, and work inside state legislatures and even, you know, local county governments. A little bit of a flavor for what you're seeing out there. Well, we've seen, you know, there are 420 plus cities who have taken the uh, the Paris Climate Agreement pledge saying they're going to move forward now. A lot of these mayors aren't going to be around when they actually have to implement what the costs are and, and what the costs on consumers are. And, and so they can make these pledges, say they're going to do something, but the costs are going to come and they're going to hit the consumer. But I want to thank your guys. They have been incredible partners on the ground. We're also working with the National Restaurant Association, Liuna, the other trade unions, the hearth and patio folks, and we're building a national coalition that can go into these places and say, hey, I'm the local business here. You know, I, I make gas ranges. I've had a business here for 30 years and I have 30 employees. And if I can't sell a gas range, that's an economic kit. So making that point at home with those people, you know, there are 179 million people in America who use natural gas. That's more than voted for President Trump and Secretary Clinton combined. We have a large group of people out there who really want to use natural gas in America. And it's about educating them about what these 
I'll say feel good policies of, you know, we're going to go all electric. We're going to have just wind and solar. Wind and solar are great, but the sun doesn't always shine and wind doesn't always blow. You've got to have something else. And, and consumers should have choice and options and, and they should be able to say, yeah, I, I'd like my gas range. I like cooking with gas. Well, George, we want to thank you for everything you're doing to help us defeat this bill. It's a, the camel's nose under the tent that we just can't afford to let it be enacted. So thank you, your colleagues at the American Gas Association. We appreciate the efforts on the Hill, and we appreciate your coming in today. Yeah. Uh, George, thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, George. Appreciate it. Great partnership. Thank you. You guys have been wonderful partners on a lot of issues. Look forward to a lot more years of it. Great. Well, George, thanks for visiting with us this morning here on uh, on housing developments. Jerry and I, you and I talked at the, at, at the top of the show. So many good things going on with the, with the industry right now. A highly successful IBS, an even better optimism for uh, the spring selling season and into the summer. I think you know while we have a long way to go, whether it's labor force, whether it's it's building all to capacity that we need those, you know, four or five hundred thousand more units. Everything seems to be pointing up for us right now, and you know I think it's a good time right now for our membership. I think you're right, Jim, and uh, listeners will be back with the next episode of Housing Developments as we get closer and closer to the election year. I intend to hold Jim's feet to the fire for predictions, and we all will then probably be getting free drinks at some point because he's not always that accurate. This is Jim Tobin. Thanks for listening. This is Jerry Howard. Thanks again. We look forward to talking to you soon. 